Welcome everyone to the Spoken Nerd. I'm your host, Connor McDonald, and thanks for coming back for another episode. I'm recording this on the 4th of July, Independence Day in the USA, so happy Independence Day. Or as Bull Pullman would say from the old movie when he was playing the president, you know, this is our Independence Day. Of course, nowadays he's doing it to spruik beer, but either way, however you celebrate Independence Day, hopefully you're having a good time. Speaking of public holidays and the like, it's been an interesting time for me last weekend. I thought I'd take a little holiday because obviously I haven't been doing much travel of any sort and most of the borders are open inside Australia nowadays. And so my partner Genevieve and I thought we would do a weekend break in Alice Springs. If you're unfamiliar with Australia, Alice Springs is right in the middle, smack bang in the middle of Australia, so it's pretty much desert, but the scenery is truly breathtaking. Counterintuitively, Alice Springs, being in the centre of Australia, is located in a place called the Northern Territory. Don't ask me why the centre of Australia is called North, but it is. One of the reasons I chose to go to Alice Springs was they had never had a lockdown There'd been minimal COVID outbreaks throughout the Northern Territory, and I figured that was probably the safest place to go in terms of taking just a quick break. And also, I have to admit, believe it or not, I was actually looking forward to going on a plane. It had been so long since I'd been on a plane. I think I like the appeal of going through the airport check-in and all that kind of stuff, all the things we normally like to groan about. It's funny how once they're taken away, you tend to uh, miss them. As I said, no lockdowns, no COVID outbreaks in Northern Territory, and so guess what happened in the two days that I was there? A miner at a fly-in, fly-out center in a mining town north of Alice Springs had a positive COVID case, and some of those miners had subsequently flown to both Darwin, the capital of Northern Territory, and through Alice Springs Airport, and therefore an imminent lockdown was about to be announced. Normally, a lockdown for me isn't really so much of an issue. I can pretty much work from anywhere as long as I have some internet access and my computer. But because this was a holiday, I had promised my partner that I wouldn't do any work on the holiday. I didn't bring my laptop. All I had was just a phone and my tablet for watching movies on the plane. I know the cloud is the thing nowadays, but unfortunately, no. I don't think even having the cloud available means you'll be able to survive that well on just a tablet as an IT professional. So as the saying goes, my partner and I, we wanted to get the hell out of Dodge. The aim was to get back to Perth as quickly as possible before we got stuck in any kind of quarantine. Quarantine's different to a lockdown here where quarantine means you have to self-isolate. Luckily, we managed to score an emergency flight south down to Adelaide in South Australia, where we sat in the airport all day. We were not permitted to leave the airport because we had been in this COVID hotspot in Alice Springs. And then we managed to get a flight back to Perth. And so here we are, my partner and I, in lockdown central, or in fact, quarantine central, which means we can't leave the house under any circumstance. So what better time then to record a podcast? Today's episode is on the topic of SQL tuning. I freely admit, I'd imagine there are so many resources out there for SQL tuning, you might already be thinking to yourself, oh, here we go again, another same old, same old on tuning and explain plan and optimize the stats, etc. I want to be very upfront here. Because this is a podcast format, I don't intend to get too deep into the syntax and execution plans, etc. It's just not feasible on a audio medium. But it's not just the podcast format that justifies my reason not to get too deep into the detail. In particular, 
my motivation for doing this on a podcast is I believe that getting deep into the technicals is often the totally wrong thing to do anyway. With that in mind, to kick things off in what will be no surprise to anyone, I'm going to get up on my high horse or jump up on my soapbox, pick any term you like, which represents Connor ranting and pontificating in his normal way. Here is the problem. SQL tuning sounds sexy. And it is. As an IT practitioner, when you manage to do some SQL tuning, which turns a long-running process into a fast-running process, it is very seductive. You feel like a bit of a superhero. Most of us, I'm sure, if you've ever worked in the database space, have been the recipient of one of those emails from a business representative or a customer saying, hey, Connor did some of his secret voodoo stuff and now things are fast and it's been copied into all the people that might have an impact on your salary. And so you feel very, very good about yourself. You've succeeded, you've made someone happy. And more importantly, that person has then sprouted your wondrous abilities to the rest of the world. It's a very seductive thing to be called out for your SQL tuning expertise. But my aim today is to absolutely turn that on its head. If you are tuning SQL, then most of the time you are failing, in my opinion. And let me try elucidate on that by giving some examples. I'll give you two real-life examples from my own IT career. The first example was with a customer that dealt with a typical financial application. Thus, that financial application consisted of customers, and those customers would conduct financial transactions. And it was a very, very big customer. I won't name them, obviously, but they had very large tables consisting of billions of transactions for customers coming in over the years. We'll keep the modeling very, very simple. Let's just assume they have a single large transaction table, and every transaction has a customer attribute or an account number, for example, and it has a timestamp of when that transaction occurred, plus all the relevant details as well in terms of the monetary amount, etc. The requirement that came in, in terms of can you please help the performance, was they had a screen which would show the most recent transaction for each customer account. And it was running very, very slowly. This is a typical problem for applications that have tables that grow over time. At implementation time or deployment, when the system first goes live, those particular functions are quite fast and efficient. As the data volumes grow, they slow down over time and customers generally put up with this more and more and more and eventually it hits some threshold where they just spit the dummy as we say in Australia and they start to vent their spleen about how come this screen has got so slow or how come this report is so slow or how come my browser is timing out etc. If we assume a trivial data model of a single large transaction table with a customer attribute one can imagine the SQL query that would be required to show the most recent transaction for each customer. It's a simple select customer max timestamp from my transaction table with a group by. It's easy to see why that would slow down as the transaction table gets larger and larger. Let's now consider some of the SQL tuning options that can be explored to make this faster. And these were indeed options that we explored when I was at this customer site. The first and simplest option is what we call the Kiwi approach, kill it with iron. In other words, it's a big table, we have a big server, let's just run that query in parallel. And generally, as a mitigation exercise, that works fine. You're simply saying, I need to throw more server resources at this problem in order to give the illusion that the process has become more efficient. 
This was indeed the first port of call for this customer, and whilst it did work, when these queries were running, it absolutely smashed the server. These were the days before parallel statement queuing existed as a function in the Oracle database. As a consequence, instead of getting 10 phone calls from 10 upset customers who were using the screen showing the most recent transaction, now we were getting 1,000 phone calls from across the organization because everything was running slow because the parallel threads were absolutely mauling the server. So yes, it solved the problem, but it created many others and had to be abandoned as a solution. The second option was to consider what I call a thin table. This is the scenario where you pick just the columns that we required to satisfy this query, in this case, the customer ID and perhaps the transaction timestamp, and you put them into an index. The index therefore becomes a thin or smaller version of the entire table, which is used just to satisfy this query. That makes a full scan much more efficient because you're scanning less volume of data, but as a consequence, that additional index now needs to be maintained. That slows down DML, adds to the size of the database, increases backup times, etc. And if you're a regular podcast listener of mine, you'll know my views on indexing and why every index is a risk to your organization because of the potential implications across all the application SQL. The third option that we explored was partitioning. The benefit of partitioning in terms of query performance really comes down to the ability to use partition pruning. For example, if we took this large transaction table and partitioned it into, say, monthly partitions, then when we're trying to satisfy the query of showing me the most recent transaction for each customer, we could limit that to say, let's just go look for the last few months worth of data. We would run under the assumption that most customers would do a transaction at least once within the last three months, and therefore we would get the correct data for them. For the smattering of customers that haven't done a transaction in the last three months, we would simply amend the screen to do something like, yes, more than three months ago was their last transaction. This is sometimes risky ground because whilst we are solving the performance tuning issue, we are also changing the business function of that particular screen or report or browser page. We are no longer showing the exact transaction time for every customer, just most of them. Moreover, if we go down the partitioning route, and this organization is not actively using it already anywhere else, then you're also up for a license hit. Partitioning is a separately licensed option of the Oracle database. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to stamp on these solutions. All of these solutions are totally valid depending on the circumstance that's most appropriate for any particular customer. And as I said before, working on these things, working on these explorations of solutions are all great fun to work with as an IT practitioner. It's exciting to dig into the code and dig into the database design and play with code and see how you can get some wins here. But as I said, this, in my view, is failing because we've been clouded by the technology rather than the activity of trying to solve a problem for the customer. In this particular case, because we had various options, we went back to the customer to discuss how frequently they ran the screen and discuss with them various options as to what would be the best for them. And then we learned more about the function that we were trying to improve. The reason the customer wanted this data was for an email blast. What they wanted to do was find customers that hadn't used their application for a while and be able to send an email saying, hi there, we haven't seen you for a while. Here's a discount voucher. Here's some other form of incentive to come back and conduct some transactions. The reason they were using a screen that showed the most recent transaction for each customer 
was that was the screen in the application that best met the requirement they had to be able to send an email blast out. They would manually examine the last date for each customer. When I say manually examine, they would grab that screen, dump it into Excel, do some sorting, etc., and then make an email out of that. It is only once we had gone back and discussed the requirement with the customer that we started to get more insight as to what tuning really meant for them. It wasn't necessarily about tuning SQL. It was about giving them a more efficient process. The first solution we implemented was a materialized view of that information that got refreshed each night. That was very successful until it led to a awkward encounter with a customer who had done a transaction late in the evening after the materialized view had been refreshed. Therefore, they got an email saying you haven't used the system for a while when in fact they had. That leads to a loss of trust in the data and therefore we had to revisit the solution. Finally, we added a simple last transaction timestamp to the parent customer table, the table of customers that sat above all the customer transactions. Every time a customer did a transaction, we simply updated that last transaction timestamp on the customer table whilst we were updating other things like their financial balance, etc. Now there was no longer any need to scan the large transaction table at all. That data was sitting on the customer table. This solution was so popular that customer level metadata became very, very attractive to this organization. They started adding more and more information onto the customer's table, like what's the highest ever spend a customer had ever done? What was an approximate total number of transactions they had done? What was the high watermark and low watermark of their account balance? All of that stuff became useful metadata that they could then use to leverage more information about the customer to drive more sales. So ultimately, as part of this exercise, we did change some SQL, but I would argue that we were not tuning SQL because the term tuning often refers to that narrow blinkered approach of just focusing on the SQL at hand. If it's not SQL we were tuning, what is it we were tuning then if we're going to talk about the topic of tuning performance? In my view, I say the thing we are always trying to tune is the user experience. For any youngsters that are listening, that's the UX in the modern cool parlance. But I cannot stress this enough. As an IT practitioner, it is so easy to get lured by the siren's call of solving every problem with SQL tuning or in general, applying technology or applying more solutions and more code. But you really have to try to resist that. It is always about tuning the customer or user experience. And if you can keep your mind focused on that, then sometimes a SQL solution or even a tech solution is not going to be appropriate. Let's face it, no customer is ever going to come to you as an IT person and say, hey, Connor, I think the three-way join to yield the budget forecast results is doing an excessive index range scan on the product ID index. No, they're going to come to you with that damn budget report takes forever. That is the problem that you're trying to solve. And so that is the thing you're trying to tune the user experience, the budget report, not the SQL inside it, not any form of technology inside it. Focus on the user experience and then it may end up needing to apply technical fixes, but focus on that experience first. With that in mind, let me talk about the second example to really hopefully reinforce that point. I once got asked to help a customer on a performance issue on their application. That application was a third-party app. So we had some code access here and there, but generally not much potential for doing a lot of wholesale changes to the code base to fix problems. 
And that was a big drama for this particular application because this application, being a third-party app that was sold for multiple customers, had the classic what I call database design snafu, the flexible field concept. So on critical tables, they might have columns called data1, data2, data3, etc., and then some sort of type column which would indicate what those columns were holding. So a given row on the table might say, this row is a type of car. Therefore, data1 column was the make. Data2 column was the model. The third data column was the year of manufacture, etc. But the very next row could be, this type of row is a swimming pool. The first column, data1, was the length of the pool. Data2 is the depth of the pool, etc. That classic nightmarish design. Nowadays, we generally throw all that kind of stuff in XML or JSON, but the applications of this time frame used to have that classic lots of columns with generic names and they were metadata driven. Within the organization, the people that had reached out to me to come help them with performance problems, they had a particular department that was really suffering and their job description was fairly simple. They got a task list of things to do from this application and then they would spend their working day going through that list, ticking off tasks as they go. The pain this department was suffering was to get a list of tasks to perform the screen took 45 minutes to refresh. Understandably, they weren't particularly happy about this. The CIO for this company was copying all sorts of heat about the performance of this particular screen as that pain that CIO was receiving filtered down the line. Eventually, it got to my manager, who then sold them the line of, our database expert, Connor McDonald, will come visit you at your location to help. What they were really saying was, we're going to send someone who has very little access to the code, very little potential to change anything. He's going to be the sacrificial lamb for you to absolutely go off your nut at. And that sacrificial lamb was me. To say I was hesitant is perhaps an understatement because I knew so little could be done with that terrible design. It's almost impossible to make things better when a design is fundamentally flawed. I simply wasn't going to be able to offer them much hope. I sucked up a little bit of courage, a little bit of bravery, and went out to visit this department, fully getting ready to get burned at the stake. On arrival, I tried to diffuse things a little. I opened up with, look, I know the task list is terrible. We're doing some work on it, but I don't have a lot of facilities to actually make a lot of changes to that part of the system, really just trying to break the ice. And to their credit, this department didn't burn me at the stake. They were actually quite flattered that someone had come to visit them and at least hear about their pain points. So we all sat down and tried to look at how we could tune the process. And the mechanism via which we did that tuning had nothing to do with SQL. Once I'd explained to them that doing any kind of refactoring to that application code was going to take a long time and it would be a long time before they saw any progress, we came up with a different mechanism to tune the process. What we would do is the first person in the office each morning, they would log on hit refresh on the task list screen, and then go get a coffee, etc. get ready for their working day, check their emails and the like. After 45 minutes, when the list would come back, they would print off using screen dumps of that list, print it out, pass it around to everyone's desk, and they would use the hard copy printouts all day. I know, that is just awful. And it represents a failure of IT, because this poor department had to change their business process due to a failing of tech but it got the job done. And the key thing here was we tuned the problem by adjusting the process, not by just digging straight into SQLs and trying to see what was going on. Simply tackling SQL probably would have taken months or even years to deliver a solution for them. Tuning this business process 
literally got the problem solved in one morning's discussions. Not ideal, but it's much more timely and much more valuable to the customers. And here is another benefit of focusing on tuning the process. As we work through this manual solution, and I was observing them working, each time they went into the individual task update screen to mark one of these tasks as completed, often they would enter just a few fields of information, and then they would have to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the task maintenance screen, which was many, many pages long, to hit an OK or save button. I mentioned them, I said, would it be any value to you if I got that OK button moved to the very top of the screen so that you don't have to scroll down so much? And with that, the 45-minute task refresh issue was almost forgotten about. They were super excited about having this OK button moved, and obviously that is a trivial change to make. Months down the track, when we'd finally managed to get some time to do some refactoring of the task list, etc., when we offered it to them as a unit of work to be completed, they didn't want it. The thing they'd loved the most out of that entire exercise was the fact that we'd moved a button to the top of the screen. And I think that's the best way to round off this first part of the podcast, which is forget about the SQL, focus on the process. Let's assume you've taken all of that on board. You've focused on the customer, focused on the user experience, focused on the process. And after all of that, it comes down to the fact that you need to tune some SQL. I'm not saying you should never look at the SQL. I'm saying that it shouldn't be your primary focus. If ultimately, after all this, you do come down to an SQL that needs to be tuned, it's running slowly. What do you do? I don't want to turn this podcast into a 12-hour marathon, so I'm going to cover the first thing that I do when I want to tune an SQL. And to justify why it's the first thing I do, I want to take a human metaphor for this. For human beings, cardinality is everything. Now, what do I mean by cardinality from a human perspective? Let's assume you go shopping and you need to grab a few groceries. Remember those days when we could leave our house and actually go shopping? Sorry, I'm just still bitter about my quarantine experience. I go to the shop. I just want to grab a few things. I grab a basket. I wander around the shops, throw a few things in the basket, and then I come to the checkout line. Do I just go to the first checkout line I see? No, of course not. What I do is I scan along the checkout lines and I'm looking for one that has either no queue or the smallest queue possible. Sometimes I'll look along and all the checkout lanes are occupied and I'll see one person there who looks like they're just about finished so I'll go join that line. They look like they've just got one small trolley. If I get there and it turns out that one small trolley has 10,000 small items in it, then I know I'm in for a bad day. I'm going to be stuck behind this person for many, many minutes and just get more and more frustrated as the day goes on. This is the case where I estimated that I would have the best experience by going down through this particular checkout lane, but the reality didn't meet the estimation. It turned out that when I got there, the number of items to be checked through by this previous customer was huge. This is the key thing with the Oracle Optimizer the accuracy of its estimates versus the reality when it actually gets to the checkout lane it chose, i.e. the execution plan it chose for your query. Just like human beings, if your assessment of what's going to occur matches the reality of what occurs, then you're generally fairly happy. If the assessment of what's going to occur does not match the reality, then you're going to be pretty sad. The cool thing with the Oracle database is that we have tools that let you directly measure that. Your estimation of how things are going to perform versus the reality. 
The best way to do that is using the SQL monitoring facilities under the package DBMS SQL Tune, but that is a separately licensed option, and I'm going to try to keep things nice and free here. This is why for any customer that contacts me with a SQL tuning problem, I resort to what I believe is one of the best hints ever invented in the Oracle database. That SQL hint is called gather underscore plan underscore statistics. If you can rerun a SQL statement that is causing you problems with that hint, when you display the execution plan, you no longer get just the standard execution plan output. You get a slightly modified plan which shows for each step in the plan, the estimated rows that the optimizer thought, and then the actual rows that the optimizer encountered at runtime. That is exactly the same as the human experience when you go to the supermarket and you're looking at your estimated time to get through the checkout lane versus the reality. Whenever you see this information side by side, estimates versus actuals, that is your immediate go-to point. If those things are in alignment, you can be fairly confident the optimizer did a good job. And that is probably the best execution plan that is available, even if the SQL is running slowly. If the estimates and the actuals do not align, they are orders of magnitude out of whack, then that is an indication that you might need to look at why the optimizer came up with those estimates. It might be stale statistics. It might be the complexity of the SQL. It might be the bind variables. It might be a lack of histograms. It gives you an excellent pointer as to where you need to start focusing your efforts. And it really is just as simple as that. That is my first port of call whenever I get asked to tune a SQL statement. I say, can you please rerun the SQL statement with the gather plan statistics hint and send me the output of your execution plan using DBMSX plan display cursor. Often that is all I need to start either tuning the SQL directly or at least coming up with a plan of attack on how to proceed to the next phase in terms of fixing the SQL. Now, based on Twitter feedback, I've already exceeded my allotted time for a podcast episode. People said they don't like them running this long, so I'll wrap it up here. But before I do, please bear with me for just a couple more minutes. I'd like to finish off with a little note about Joel Kalman. Anyone in the Oracle community will know that Joel Kalman was one of the founders of Application Express or Apex. And unfortunately, Joel passed away about a month ago from covid the outpouring of emotion on social media shows the esteem by which he was held in the Oracle community. He really was just a fantastic, passionate, enthusiastic, and just generally nice human being, which can sometimes be a rarity in these troubled times. I won't dwell too long on the unsavory part of his passing where the COVID deniers, hoaxes, anti-vaxxers, etc., all decided that his passing was a great way of jumping on their cause about COVID being a hoax and the other crazies out there. All I will say is that we all miss him and hopefully we all continue on the spirit of building great communities with our experiences. And that's in part one reason why I do this podcast. Joel was an inspiration for that because he was so keen on building communication lines within the community. That's all for this episode of The Spoken Nerd. As promised, very little tech, but still hopefully it helped reinforce your ideas of where you should be focusing your energies on SQL tuning. I'll be back with another podcast episode soon. But in the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me on Twitter or check out my YouTube channel as well. See you all again soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music.